You're listening to a live recording from Westside Church in Bend, Oregon. Thanks for joining us. Well, good morning, friends. From wherever you are watching, we want to say uh, we love you, and we are so grateful um, for the connection we have uh, to you, to your home churches, to your families. Um, God is still good, and He's still at work in our communities, and we're so grateful for His presence with us today. Love worship, and and uh, just sensing that that reality that God uh, is mightily present in our community is a beautiful thing. Um, my name is Evan. I'm the Creative Arts Pastor here, and it really is a joy to be able to speak to you today as we continue our walk through the book of Joel. Um, we've been a couple of weeks now talking about this Old Testament book, the book of Joel. Joel was a prophet to the nation of Israel. And uh, as we read through his prophetic word to the nation of Israel, we can find some interesting parallels for our life, our nation, our community, and us personally, as we look to what God might be doing in us as a community. I wanted to start today by showing you a photo um, from Father's Day this past year, this past June. I had been at church all morning and, uh, and came home. And as I'm pulling up our street, um, the kids have been watching through the window. And so as, as I pulled up to our house, they came running out with a happy Father's Day banner. That's what they're holding. Um, and they, they came just running out to the street and what a welcome home. And this is our daughter, Clara, she's eight. And this is our son, Bon Jovi, uh, he's two. His name is Jack, he did get a haircut shortly after this. But man, what a welcome home uh, on Father's Day this year. I wanted to show you that because we've been talking in the book of Joel about this concept, this idea of repentance. And uh, as we've been talking about it, I, I've been listening and I, I realized that for many, the idea of repentance might conjure this image of humiliation, of a sense of shame, that maybe you think that when God calls us to repentance, what he's calling us to is to wallow in a sense of shame for our past. But at the heart of, of repentance, and I want you to catch this, at the heart of repentance is simply this, it's movement in the direction of God. It's movement towards him. It's, it's, it's watching the window and running when we see him. Um, faith, James tells us, requires action. James said that the faith without action is dead. And I want to tell you this this morning, that repentance is actually movement. It's action. Um, uh, my first point today is this, belief alone cannot sustain my relationship with God. Do you know that? That, that what you believe about God, and Bo asked us, Pastor Bo asked us this last week, what, what do you believe about the character of God? I hope you believe that God is good and he's faithful and he's consistent and he's, he's gonna fulfill his promises. I hope you believe all that. But belief in God alone is not the whole enchilada, the whole ball game, the whole insert your favorite metaphor there. It's not all there is because we have to have this response, not just of intellectual belief, not just of having the right worldview, not just of, of, of knowing the facts, but actually having this sense of motion and action in the direction of God. So back to my kids. Let's say that, that each day when I'm, I'm here at the church working, that they're at home and they just, they believe strongly that I am a wonderful dad, the best dad. They, they talk to each other. They say, isn't our dad the best dad? Isn't he the greatest dad? There's no other dad like our dad. They might even write songs about me and sing them to each other. I, I assume this is what happens when I'm at work. I'm not sure, but that's my assumption. 
The thing is, whatever they believe about how good I am, if I don't show up at the end of the day, that confidence might be shaken. And if after a week I haven't shown up, that confidence might change to despair. If month after month I never come home, if I never fulfill my part of this relationship, what they believe about me and my goodness would be dramatically shifted. And, and what I want to talk to us about today in the book of Joel, and we're going to read in just a second, is that there is, is not just a one-way street of repentance, but actually God comes to meet us in relationship with his part of the bargain. That when I come home, I know that I'm fulfilling part of my, my end of the relationship by showing up. But when I get there, catch this, when I get there, they have a job to do too. If they're so distracted by their toys and, and by the shows, and by the way, Curious George is coming out with a new season, which is in our house is like good news. We've been watching the same stories for years. So we're excited about that. Some of you just, you could care less about the state of Curious George, but it's a big deal to us. But when I get home, they have a part of the relationship too, right? They have to lay down the distractions, set down the things that have occupied their time and their attention, and they have to turn. And when they do, and when they, when they arrive in my arms, they're going to find out real quick whether what they believe about me is true or not by my response. Today, we're going to find that Joel is inviting us to turn towards God and find out for ourselves if what we believe about his character is true, if he really is good, if he really is faithful. Because some of you might be listening to me today and you actually feel abandoned by God. You feel like you've been waiting for him and he hasn't shown up. That when you consider um, maybe the state of the world, maybe the state of your family or the state of your health, state of your kids, you say, I've been watching for him, but he hasn't shown up. And really, this is where the Israelites are when Joel is prophesying to them. Uh, they've been experiencing famine. The crops have, have died for lack of rain. There are enemies on every side. There's political upheaval. None of you can relate to any of that, right? You see, it's hard to compare ancient Israel to today, and we probably shouldn't make the comparison directly, but I'll tell you what, the feeling that those Israelites had back then because of all the trouble might be the feelings that you're having today because of our troubles. And Joel comes and he says, listen, I know it's been bad. I know it's been tough. But through the turning towards God, we find some really good news. And if you're feeling cynical, if you've lost some hope, if you're feeling ripped off by 2020, we listen to Joel's encouragement to the Israelites today. Joel chapter two, verse 23, the rain he sends demonstrates his faithfulness. See, Joel had this, this promise for the people who were, who were just done. They were done waiting for God to show up. He says, don't give up. The rain is gonna come again. The harvest will return. It's gonna demonstrate the faithfulness of God, God's gonna walk through the doorway. And when he does, Joel's saying, get ready to run and throw yourself into the mercy of a loving God. That's repentance. That's the response of, of the children of God. When we see him show up, we drop our distractions and we run towards him. 
Joel would call this restoration. This idea that God comes to fix what's broken. You know, when I get home, um, oftentimes at the end of the day, there will be a little pile on our kitchen counter of things that we broke that dad needs to fix. Toys with broken arms, cars with missing batteries, you name it, there's a pile there. And I don't want to discount my wife's skills, but I am crazy good with a glue gun. I'm just, I'm just going to throw it out there. Some guys are proud of their athletic prowess. Glue guns are my thing, I'll be honest. But there's this, there's this idea that, that when dad comes home, he can fix that. Set that aside. When dad gets home, he can fix that. When I watch the news every day, and, and again, not just national news, local news, there is trouble at play. Would anyone deny that? That there's not tension in our world today, that there's not some broken things. And, and by the way, uh, I, don't, I don't blame uh, a political system for where we're at. I know that in each of our hearts, there are things that when we unleash them on each other, it gets ugly. We need something better to fix us. Politics isn't going to do it. We need the great fixer. We need the great restoration to happen. It's not going to happen through conventional means. We're too far down the road of the ugliness of a human condition turned on each other. We need the presence of God to be the great fixer and restorer in our world and in our city. And if you don't have hope for that, we got to turn back to scripture and say, Jesus, would you show up and reveal yourself as the one who comes to restore? Oftentimes I think we're, we're good at preaching repentance and turning towards God, but we're not so great at really demonstrating for the world around us the restorative power of the gospel of Jesus. You know, the New Testament, when Jesus shows up on the scene, he didn't show up alone. Do you know that? In the... The first, uh, you know, several chapters of, of the Gospels, we find uh, that Jesus shows up in, in the first century, but he's not alone. He comes with another guy, his cousin, actually, John the Baptist. And just before Jesus begins his ministry, guess who's out in the desert preparing the way? It's John. And if you know the story of, of the Gospels, you'll know that, that John, the cousin of Jesus, is out baptizing people and he's preaching repentance, a turning towards God. And no sooner is John on the scene that Jesus shows up right alongside. And I want to tell you this, the repentance and restoration, which was the work Jesus came to do, they come as a package deal. That no sooner have, have we agreed and entered into this, this turning towards God that we find the restoration through Jesus is already present. If you're afraid that you're going to turn towards God and then experience years and decades of of, of crawling your way back to worthiness before you would see the presence of God create restoration in your life. Scripturally, we have this hope when we look at the story of Jesus that in the turning, we find the presence of Jesus, that he's already queued up. As soon as you decide to turn towards God, Jesus and his presence and his restorative work is already on the scene. Repentance and restoration are a package deal. So let's look at Joel. Joel chapter two, verse 18. Remember, we've just spent the first chapter and a half talking about turning towards God and, and the need for repentance. Joel says in verse 18, then the Lord will pity his people and jealously guard the honor of his land. The Lord will reply, look, I'm sending you grain and new wine and olive oil enough to satisfy your needs. You will no longer be an object of mockery 
among the surrounding nations. Then the Lord will pity his people. Then is the moment immediately following repentance. Immediately following repentance, the Lord will show up and prove his faithfulness. If the restorative work, the the restoration of God doesn't follow repentance, what's the point? As, As John said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. If the kingdom isn't at hand, what's the point? Why look for God if he's not gonna show up? Why turn towards him if he's got nothing to offer? Restoration comes with repentance and it's good news. It's really good news. And so we ask the question, like what what does restoration look like for us in in 2020, in in our community, in our neighborhoods, at our workplaces, in, in Westside Church? What does restoration look like? Well, for that, we look to Jesus. He is the picture of God's restoration, not theoretically, not cosmically, but in real life, on the ground, in the streets, with real people that have real issues, in really political charged times, like the first century Judea where he walked, we find the restorative work of God at play through Jesus. And if it worked in first century Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, maybe it could work for us. Because remember, Jesus shows up and then there's, there's Romans and, and Jewish leaders and Greeks and there's Samaritans and they all kind of hate each other's guts. And nobody can get along. And, and by the way, it's a tender box of political unrest because in just a, a few short years, we know from history in AD 70, AD 70 uh, what's going to happen is the Romans are going to actually stomp out a Jewish uprising, which ends up destroying the temple. All out war against the Jewish people from Rome. This is a tender box about to explode. And here comes Jesus. And so we have... Uh, we have an opportunity actually to look at the way that Jesus responded and acted as a model for us because he was able to perfectly fulfill his mission of restoration, even in uncertain times. And this is the way he did it. Well, actually, let me tell you the way he didn't do it. Sometimes it's more important what somebody doesn't do than what they do, 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 do. My nieces are watching right now in Boise, Idaho, Naya, Ren. I said, do-do from this stage. That was for you. All right. Jesus was never distracted by what wasn't his mission. As he gained popularity and influence and and became known as as this miracle worker and this great teacher, uh, people would come around him and they'd say, Jesus, we want to make you king. And he said, no, it's not it. That's a shortcut to influence over the masses. That's not why I'm here. And so he would do things like he would pull these magic tricks out of his hat. Like he would be in the middle of this crowd and they'd be like, we're going to make him king. And they try to get him up on their shoulders. And all of a sudden he would just disappear from their midst. Like smoke bomb, trap door, gone. Jesus is out. Why? Because that wasn't why he was here. It wasn't going to be through a political process that the restoration of God was come, going to come to earth. It wasn't uh, heaven come to earth through politics because Jesus disappeared from that crowd. And what did he do? He strapped on an apron and he began to wash feet. And then he stood facing unfair accusations on the steps of Pontius Pilate's palace. And, And he said nothing. And then he laid down his rights and his life for those that were crucifying him. Why? So that he could usher us into the restoration of God. 
He chose the weak route, the weak road. He became someone of, of no reputation. Why? So that the restoration of God could come through this upside down kingdom. And so he, he, he had this incredible discipline. I mean, can you imagine the discipline it takes as, as the crowds are adoring you and coming around you and being amazed by you? And they say, we want to make you king. And he says, the priorities of Rome are not my priorities. The values of the ruling Jewish class are not the values of the kingdom. The father has a different way. And so he brought us into this season of restoration. And if you're wondering for us as a church, what does restoration look like? Restoration actually comes to communities. You see, Joel would have not even had to say this to his audience in ancient Israel because the sense of community was so ingrained. Now us today, we have a deep rooted sense of individuality. Individualism is like our mantra. And technology has not helped this, right? Technology, for all its promise of bringing us together and connecting us, and in ways it has, at the same time, it has allowed us to be completely individualistic in our tastes and what we consume and how we see the world, all these things. A technology has enabled us through what's probably in your pocket or your purse at this very moment to engage with the world as, as you as an individual see fit. And there's some benefits to this, but there are some real dangerous parts because what it does is it takes away our understanding of what it is to exist in a community with people that don't necessarily think the same way we do or look the same way we do. And I love this about uh, my home church. We have, um, you know, on, on the political spectrum, for instance, we have, we have conservatives, we have progressives. We even have some very vocal libertarians and uh, the thing is, I may not have any reason to engage with people that maybe don't view things the same way I do, but I get in my home church and we have these wonderful, non-threatening, safe conversations around things that we disagree because we're not lobbying opinions through the void of the internet. We're actually having conversation in relationship. And this is the way that, that God comes to his people throughout all of the Old Testament and into the New, is that he actually works in communities to do his work. And I know we talk a lot about this, this personal expectation of the move of God in my life personally, but I'll tell you what, I think many times he actually wants to come to the community. Nations can turn away from God in the Old Testament. That means they can also turn towards God in the Old Testament. Also, communities, neighborhoods, and churches can turn away from God together, but they can also turn back to God together. And theologically, we are quite literally all in this together. And I might disagree with you. And I hope you're not connected to this church because you think I agree with you. Because I probably don't at some level. So we have to have something deeper that binds us together than our opinions. And you know what it is? We come around this idea of the kingdom of heaven and the King, Jesus, who came to show us a better way. And so as we do this, uh, as Pastor Steve said a few weeks ago, we disagree politically, but we love unconditionally. And I believe that as long as humans have a, 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 an innate need for community, and by the way, we are built for community, not just information processing, that's not enough, 
But we were built for community. And as long as we are built for community, the church has a future. It might look different as, as seasons go on and, and, and years pass, the format of church changes, but there will always be a need for community that brings us around this idea of Jesus and his work. And that's why probably some of you are watching. I don't wanna shoot ourselves in the foot or, or give away too much here, but there are better preachers out there than us. Um, you know, I, I'm happy if I hit like a seven as a preacher today out of 150, you know, that's, we're really trying to lower the bar here. And, and I'm joking, of course, we try to do as best we can and, and present something that's compelling. And I hope today you're watching thinking, all right, this is all right, this is good. But the reality is there's always gonna be a more compelling preacher out there. There's always gonna be something uh, flashier or, or more entertaining or engaging out there. And you could easily switch to one of those streams right now. I hope you don't. But that's not why you're here. You're here maybe because this church, for you, you would consider it home, this community. Or maybe you're looking for community. You're looking for a place to call home. So you, you've, you've stumbled across what you're watching today and there's something in it. I don't think it's just the information I'm sharing. I think there's a sense of I want to belong. Why? Because we were built for community. And God who made us to be built this way comes to bring restoration, not just to you as an individual, but to us in community. And, uh, you know, I get it. Sometimes the smaller the crowd gets, the more uncomfortable I get. You know, I'm not the let's sit in a circle and openly share our feelings kind of guy. I'll openly share my feelings, but only if there's a microphone, a stage, and it's being broadcast, then I'm happy to do it. But get me in a little small group and it's uncomfortable for me. So guys, I know this. Some, some of you, and I, 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 I am a man, so I want to speak to the men. I know you feel uncomfortable. The thought of, I don't want to have to be vulnerable or open with a group of strangers in a home. I'm with you, bro. So don't say anything. Just come and just sit there. Just eat some chips. Watch the service. Enjoy yourself. We got we to understand that, that uh, maybe what you've experienced in the past, God's doing something new here, and I want to invite you into it. Um, my home church, we have, we have eight children, three on the way. There's a lot of uh, screaming that happens during our home church. Right now, my home church is watching. They probably can't hear a thing I'm saying because of the screaming of the children. But you know what? When, when there is trouble uh, from our home church, maybe in somebody's job or family, when there's health issues that come up, when I have questions about financial things, you know who I go to? people I'm in community with. Even, you know, when I find a hilarious meme online, you know who I share it with? My own community. And God is doing something in this moment. We know, none of us asked for what we're doing right now. This crazy, not everybody's in the room kind of thing. Nobody asked for that, but God can use it to build something really special in communities. And if you say, man, I wish I had a community like that. I wish I had something like you're talking about. Well, you can at, home, at westsidehome.org. <laughs> How's that for a sales pitch? We would love it if in the next season of Westside Church, we all knew what our communities looked like. We all knew that we have people that have our backs, even if we disagree. And this is a beautiful thing that when we pray for God's restoration and blessing, we're not just praying for it individually, we're believing for it for our whole community, for our whole church, for our whole neighborhood, 
that when I, when I need God to provide in my life and I'm asking for his provision, I look for the answer, not just in my own bank account, but I asked around in my family and my coworkers, how are you doing? Because I believe this, that God wants to come to communities with his restoration. So let's wrap this up. 2020 has uh, taken a lot of things away from us. Joel's audience uh, knew what that was like. Pestilence and famine and, they had been decimated by trouble. And Joel had this encouragement for his audience and it's an encouragement for us today. In verse 25, the Lord says, I will give you back what you lost. And then you will know that I am among my people, Israel, that I am the Lord, your God, and there is no other. And never again will my people be disgraced. Another translation of that last phrase says, my people shall never bear the shame of disappointed hopes. Do you have any disappointed hopes today? Do you feel that, that sense of, of shame because maybe what your kids have experienced this year wasn't what you expected? Are you disappointed because you haven't been able to take care of your employees like you had expected and hoped? Are you afraid for the future? Listen, the promise of restoration is that we don't bear the shame of disappointed hopes. That in place of that shame and that, that, that feeling that God isn't gonna show up, that we actually have our faces glued to the window. And we watch because we know he might be here any minute that he will not disappoint us. That in Jesus, we find the antidote to the shame of disappointed hopes. Ben, uh, Pastor Ben began this service today by reading Psalms 121, and I want to finish it by reading the first part again. And, and just maybe close your eyes wherever you're at and listen to the word of God for us today. Out of Psalms 121, I lift my eyes to the hills from where will come my help. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And so Jesus, we look with our eyes up, glued to the window, expecting restoration, expecting that as we move towards you, you move towards us. And our hope's not in our ability to agree on everything. Our hope's not in a government or a vaccine or a school district or an economy. Our hope is in the work of restoration through Jesus. For our families and our neighborhoods and our business places and our church, our city, God, we place our hope in the restoration that you bring. So God, I just pray for strength and courage and grace uh, all across our community, uh, watching in all the different corners of, of the area today, and uh, that there would just be a sense uh, that you are with us, and, and we don't base our, our, our hope on current circumstance. We base our hope on the promise of Jesus that we read today. We look to you, we find hope in you. We believe in your restoration today. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen.